everybody. Welcome back to the Modern Mindset 365 podcast. So if you read the headline and you're listening to this podcast and you heard me talk about uh, my first panic attack and one, I wanted to have this conversation. I'm not the most comfortable talking about this, but I want to have the conversation about uh, kind of the mental health aspects behind a panic attack, what I understand about it in my own experiences. Technically right now I should be on a plane or at least uh, at a hotel in the Bahamas doing stem cell therapy and a great organization called timeforahero.org. Um, Time for a Hero is a nonprofit that offers uh, stem cell therapy for uh, veteran service members who are suffering from TBI. And I happen to be one of them. Um, I'm 90% disabled and a big portion of my disability has to do with TBI. And I actually think it's, uh, it's had a, a, a vast impact on my life negatively. And there's a lot of things that I talk about in diet and health, nutrition, to be able to mitigate the effects of TBI, traumatic brain injury, um, but was reached out by this organization because stem cell therapy has been uh, proven to work um, to help uh, curb the, res the results or symptoms of TBI. And I was all for it. Obviously, I want to be about it because um, I'm suffering from it. So for forgetfulness, from forgetfulness to uh, like a fog of your clotted mind, um, uh, difficulty to pay in paying attention, I've addressed all these things with Veteran Affairs. And obviously, if you understand how Veteran Affairs works, I mean, I've talked to psychologists at Veteran Affairs. I've talked to TBI specialists. And the only thing they can offer me is... Uh, cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, in fact, the speech therapists in Prescott, Arizona are the ones that handle that and they help with cognitive function. My whole thing is if I wanted help with cognitive function, I'd download an app um, and, and practice it in my own home without being um, burdened with having to come in on VA schedule uh, to see me once every few months. And so I, it obviously, um, I'm open about communicating about my disdain for veteran affairs and their approach, especially to TBI being one of the most systemic issues that I think uh, VA is facing from the military. I mean, you don't have to be have you don't have to have been blown up in an IED to experience TBI, especially over a course of a uh, long career in the military. If you're in combat arms, uh, you're around weapon systems. Hell, you don't even have to be in combat arms. You could be just a military person, service member. If you're around weapon systems, if you've been to war, then you've been blown up, you've been around guns, you've lost your hearing, and in that, you're getting thumped in your head again and again and again, which is causing, obviously, traumatic brain injuries. Um, I've been pretty open about um, how professional athletes that are paid millions of dollars have the ability to go get tier one care after their time in their um, professional careers. But then if you're in the military and you spend 20 years basically going to war for a living, you come out of that, you have nothing. I mean, you have cognitive behavioral therapy um, once every few months, and that's it. And so that nonprofits are filling that void with help from the private sector in order to um, help our service members who are suffering from this. So anyways, Time for a Hero reached out to me and said, hey, stem cell therapy, they basically have a procedure where they extract your fat cells and they centrifuge or centrifuge down 
your uh, down to your stem cells and then reintroduce it intravenously. And this helps um, reduce some of the symptoms of TBI and then uh, helps with localized um, localized benefits as well, i.e., you know, I have a back injury, for example, compressed disc in C5 and C6, which is well documented, but again, get no help from VA. They haven't offered me an MRI. They haven't offered me um, any look into potential surgery options. And in fact, they've uh, reduced my overall percentage rate, which just means that when it comes to paying attention by VA, I get no help or or, uh, benefit by that. So again, uh, depending on a nonprofit to help this out. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, communicate about um, in this episode is the fact that I'm not there and I'm here sitting down in my office recording a podcast because I couldn't make the flight. And the reason I couldn't make the flight is I basically had uh, the precursors to a panic attack and couldn't get on the bird. And I'll explain it in detail uh, from beginning to end, but in an open form of discussion, I'm not a subject matter expert in panic attacks or uh, really the psychology, physiological responses, scientific understanding totally about what's going on. I have broad understanding and um, I, I will have more pointed conversations with experts in the field but again, I'm limited in my scientific knowledge and understanding of uh, what's taking place here. So I, I take this with a grain of salt in the sense that my perspective is is biased based on uh, my specific experience with it, having been affected by it. And generally speaking, uh, my knowledge is limited. Uh, and that's just kind of the insurance that I uh, tag along with that. So let's... Let's back up. About a year ago, uh, probably about this time, I flew out uh, for business. And it was the first time I'd been on a commercial airliner in, in probably a year since before that point. Uh, meaning in my civilian life, I don't travel a lot uh, and, and have to use a plane a lot. The caveat to that is you should know that prior to this experience um, in flying commercially, I have flown in airplanes, helicopters, and kind of everything in between, uh, meaning on the skids of helicopters, on you know hanging my feet off of helicopters day and night, flying in pretty much every civ- civilian and military platform for training. Um, was a military freefall jump master, which meant that I jumped from airplanes, uh, pulling my own parachute uh, in freefall. And I was actually a freefall jump master and an advanced uh, military freefall jumper, which means I've been to ADIC, which is Advanced Tactical Infiltration Course. I've been to all the high-speed canopy control courses. I've been to, obviously, HALO uh, slash HEY-HO Military Freefall Jump Master School. So I'm pretty experienced around an airplane and pushing my guys out of airplanes uh, and understand you know, the science and math uh, behind, you know, jumping out and understanding wind and understanding all these effects that the atmosphere has on you and jumping to a desired point on the ground. And so at the highest levels of stress in that job, I've been there and I've done that. You know, I've jumped out of, uh, I've done hey-ho insertions where you're above 15, 16,000 feet 
where you're hooked up to oxygen bottles, you're jumping out at night under night vision. Um, and then, you know, you got a 120 pound rucksack strapped in between your legs, sniper rifle on you and, and done this many, many times. So going back to the, uh, experience, you know, I was flying commercial and got on the plane fine. It was listening to a podcast. I was flying solo and there was no issues. As I was sitting there, I started to get an elevated heart rate and I kind of was paying attention to my heart rate monitor. I actually wear a a Garmin watch and I got a Phoenix 5X and can track, you know, live my heart rate. And typically I hover in the 60s and 70s, just, you know, sitting on my butt, maybe with a little caffeine in me. But I started getting in the 130s, um, which is highly elevated for me and really didn't understand what was going on. And if you know a little bit about the science behind your, uh, your, your central nervous system and your endocrine system, you have a sympathetic uh, nervous system that is responsible for all the chemicals that dump into your body during fight or flight, meaning it's designed by default as a physical and, and really a, a physiological protocol in order to help you uh, to save your life with adrenaline, with cortisol, with all these different things. And you might have felt that surge of that that ride, for lack of a better term, when somebody cuts in front of you in traffic, and then you get a surge of adrenaline, and you kind of get a, you know, eyes open wide, and then you grab the steering wheel at, at the ten and two, and then it takes you a while to recover from that. You know, that instance might take uh, a couple seconds, but it takes minutes, sometimes an entire day, to come off that. Well, I started feeling those physiological responses. And so you imagine like I'm going um, through the beginning stages of what is the same thing that I felt um, in the 130 bracket of my heart rate, um, preparing for things like doing a full mission profile jump or going into combat, where it's this, it's this uh, graded curve where you can measure kind of the optimal point of your performance, which is 70% of your overall max beats per minute. And and it kind of, if you kind of understand this curve, you'll know that if you go beyond that, you start losing control and you make bad decisions. It's hard to have um, good decision-making in uh, that bracket or that window of the red zone uh, where you're above 70%, where you might be in the 90 percentile of your beats per minute, maybe in the 160s, 170s beats per minute. And so I'm in the 130s, and so I'm still aware of what's happening. I'm I'm uh, kind of in the moment. And from experience in training and in warfare, um, I've never really peaked that 130. I mean, that 130 is meant to benefit you, to be able to accelerate your heart rate in order to feed your mind and your body to perform. But if the stress isn't managed or isn't regulated, then it could be experience, training, a whole bunch of different variables, um, even some out of your control, then you start to get to a point to where you're overwhelmed. And, th- and, and in that red window, you start seeing things happen like um, bad decision-making, indec- indecisiveness. Um, you see people going into shock. You see uh, panic breathing, you see people freaking out and losing it. And that 
And again, that's the window where you see this uh, gross left and right of fight or flight. And so I recognized that and then started communicating to myself, kind of slowing my breath and trying to get and trying to control my physical body and my, and my mental state that se- seemed like it was going on autopilot. Well, nothing I did worked. And so I'm in a chair and we're getting ready to take off and I've never felt this before and this is the first time that I felt this and I'm not able to control my fight or flight response and I'm losing it. And so mentally I'm still in it. Like I'm fighting, I'm doing mantras, I'm doing breathing exercises. And I remembered hearing about kind of like the worst case scenario for stress. And I I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically it's a meditative exercise where you physically contract your legs, which is a large, obviously one of the largest, the largest muscles in your body. And when you do that, at the same time that you're letting go of the contractions slowly, you're breathing out um, and then counting down or counting up, uh, I should say, um, while the muscle is being relaxed. And so you imagine like you squeeze your thighs as hard as you can and, and as you relax, you're counting out or counting up one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, four, 1,000 at the same time that you're um, letting that contracted muscle relax. And it started to slow my heart rate and started to slow me down. But I was like death gripping uh, everything I had and flexing my body to keep me engaged and mentally um, in it because my body wanted to check out. Because you imagine the amount of cortisol, the amount of adrenaline that was pumping into my body, my body was prepared to fight or flight, and I'm literally sitting in a chair and can't do anything about it. Again, this is the first time it's ever happened. If it's never happened in my military career, it's never happened in trauma that I faced uh, in and out of the military. It's never happened. And so uh, this ride, I would venture to say, lasted 10 to 20 minutes. And then what's odd is when we leveled out with the wings um, and got to altitude and they said, you're free to move about the cabin, it subsided. Now, I was still left with the after effects of that, which is I was shaken. I felt out of control. I mean, I just felt exhausted. I mean, I I literally was exhausted. And so I I went through that experience. And that that was, I, I mean, I was shook. I mean, I came off that bird and was like, dude, that, that has never happened. I don't understand what's going on. I started communicating to friends, to psychologists uh, that I knew and trying to figure out what happened. Because imagine I've never experienced that before. Um, I've never had uh, significant major trauma in a plane. I mean, I've, I've had hard landings in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and war. Um, I've almost been shot out of the sky twice, actually, with anti-aircraft um, munitions. Um, but n- outside of that, I deployed with a contract as a contractor eight times and flew back and forth all over the world and never had instances of this. And so you have to understand, you know, for me, that was a significant uh, moment. It would be like you just driving your car. And then going into fight or fight response without even understanding, with no thoughts to lead you to that moment, no anxiety to build up from that moment. Um, so that was like a year ago. I would say a couple months after that, 
uh, still last year, I flew one more time to Los Angeles and had a mini event in a an hour and a half flight where the same thing happened. It just wasn't as uh, intense as that moment was. So we get to the point now where I'm loading a plane yesterday morning and I go to load this plane and I need this treatment. I need to be on this plane. And I up until the moment this happened, I hadn't thought once about it. So no anxiety, no lead-ups, no thinking like, hey, you know, impending doom, nothing like that. I get up um, early in the morning, get to the airport, and go to get on the plane. I check my ticket, and as I'm walking the cor- down the corridor where you load the plane, like physically step into the threshold, I started feeling anxiety. And the anxiety was like, it was very passive, but it, it immediately reminded me um, of that trauma that I experienced in the bird before. And so as I was approaching the airplane, I'm like, okay, just calm down, breathe. And again, this is on autopilot. It's not like my thoughts are feeding anything. It's just going by itself. And so what I start realizing is, there might be a chance here of me stepping on this plane and having the set, same set of circumstances take place where I, where my sympathetic nervous system goes into a fight-or-flight response and I have no control over the outcome. So I have a decision to make. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty difficult decision because I combated myself uh, back and forth because I'm like half of me is like don't be a pussy step on this plane like what are you doing but the other half of me which is the more rational half of me is like hey if you get on this plane and you have the same experience and you ha- and you want to get off the plane how is that going to work out and for me um, having been through the same event a year prior I'm like I don't I don't want to put myself or anybody on that plane in an unsafe predicament, meaning I don't want to stand up in that planning like, hey, I need to get off this plane. And they said, you can't get off this plane. And then, I mean, I'm the crazy guy on the plane and they put me in handcuffs. I also don't want to compromise the security of that plane. And it's, it's hard for me even to say that out loud because I'm like, I mean, to think that I could be a flight risk um, is, uh, is, uh, is telling you know, it's it's uh, hard to even verbalize because I, I want to be the guy who's protecting everybody on the plane. So, long story short, I commit. I'm like, I'm not. I can't get on it. I can't take that chance. So, luckily, they let me off or out of the plane and then off the uh, the flight line. And I immediately call a buddy of mine who's a psychologist. And I'm like, Hey, man, I need to get seen by somebody because I need to figure out what the hell is going on because this has never happened to me before, and I need to figure out what's happening. So. I got the opportunity to talk to a psychologist yesterday, in fact, um, and kind of flushed out everything that had happened. And what I didn't realize were a, f- a few things. One, a lot of it has to do with uh, the reaction, especially that I had on the bird, has to do with control. I've always been in control, especially when it comes to jump- jumping my own guys, for example. I, I, I literally control the bird. I mean, I, I communicate to the pilots who do exactly what I tell them to do. Um, I have a parachute on my back where if something goes wrong, we have emergency bailout procedures. And so there's always an out. Well, when I'm in an aircraft and I'm buckled into the seat, 
and I'm in between several people in an aisle, I don't have that control anymore. Um, now I don't know why this hasn't bothered me before cause it never has. Um, but when I used to fly for the government, I fly business class because if I landed in a, you know, a, a, a foreign country, they would expect me to be rested because they're like, here's a Glock, here's a radio time to go to work. So there was a justification for me to get business or first class. And so, uh, I had more control because I had the bathroom that was right there. If I had a bail, I had, you know, the access to the aisle if something went wrong. Um, you know, I've kind of thought about this a lot and maybe I had some form of control, but put me in that circumstance where I'm in between people, I buckled in and now it's completely out of my hands. Uh, I have, a, I've had a, a loss of control. So maybe that's one of the circumstances. Another, another thing that was asked to me was what I had eaten prior because I uh, apparently if you're hypoglycemic, um, or, you know, any dietary, um, things are out of that balance, potentially, uh, you can go into that state, uh, of fight or flight faster or sooner, um, than if, uh, you, you were eating a regular diet. Caffeine obviously has effect. Well, I had been fasting that morning, so I didn't have any food. I didn't have a caffeine, um, so everything felt like it should have been imbalanced, and obviously it wasn't. So, you know, what I've realized is this is a part uh, potentially of suppressing trauma. And, and I'll, don't think about it as trauma as in like an experience that you, you lost a lot in. Like you got beat up, you were, you were violently attacked, you lost friends, not that kind of trauma, but the instance in where you potentially suppressed a normal fight or flight response. Like jumping out of an airplane isn't natural. So when you first do it, it's scary. But when you do it again and again and again, you formulate this way of justifying why you're doing it. And then you're very good at convincing yourself that you're doing it because uh, it's part of the process. So like when you do a free fall jump, for example, you're launching your physical body outside of an aircraft at 15 plus thousand feet at 100 miles an hour, and you just make that normal. Well, it's not normal because biologically or, you know, uh, um, um, primally even, it's not something that you would ever do in a natural state, but you justify it and then you become kind of uh, inundated or inoculated to it and then it becomes normal. So when that happens, the abnormal component to it is suppressed. And so maybe there's an instance of now it's like, oh, well, this you're supposed to have this response. We've been hiding out or suppressing this response for years, for decades, and now we don't have to because you're not jumping out. There is no tailgate. There is no jumpers. There is no mission. And so now we're kicking it on. And it's, it's an amazing, I mean, for me, it's an amazing uh, window into the, the, uh, the fact that we don't have as much control as we thought. Even me, who has um, really a good grasp on understanding mindset and the power of your mindset and how it applies to um, reducing your physical stress or reaction to stress, I felt helpless on that on that time a year ago when I was, I mean, I got through it, right? Nothing bad happened and I got through it 
and it was a big fight. But in the instance where I don't know uh, my true capability now, because now I'm now I'm like hesitant about me saying that I, I got it 100% without um, or with understanding that there might be an instance where I can't control what, what I'm ha- what's happening to me physiologically, where my mind's going, oh, you're good, you're good, and, but your body's like, we're out of control. Hold on and ride the, ride the roller coaster for, for 10 to 20 minutes. That's scary. And so uh, I'm interested to learn more about it and, I, and highlight it. I'm not comfortable with talking about this because, I, I, look, it it's it's an instance in my life where I've had um, uh, little to no self control. I mean, I guess you could you could say that I was in complete control because I'm strapped to a seat and my fists are clenched and I'm just riding the wave. But for me, not being able to mentally allow myself to get through that has kind of changed my perspective on uh, what anxiety. Um, uh, what mindset is, um, you know, what resiliency even is as it relates to your physical body under stress. And, uh, there's something that's occurring. Um, I mean, yesterday when I talking to the psychologist, he's like, you need to do, um, what is it called? Stress inoculation. You need to be, uh, do therapy where you're consistently, and constantly introduced to that plane. And she's like, you know, you can get on a flight and fly to LA and do all this stuff. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how is that going to benefit me? And, and you know, part of it's my ego because part of it's like, I don't need that shit. I don't need, I don't need to be inoculated to an aircraft to get on a, on a bird. But I, I'll tell you, for the first time, I'm like, maybe I do. Uh, maybe I do need to be inoculated for some reason I mean, it's never been a problem up until it is a problem, right? But for some reason, maybe I do need to be inoculated. Uh, something else was discussed in medication, which uh, with this instance, um, I'm thinking like Xanax and all these other drugs that kind of dumb you down. She's like, absolutely not. You don't need that. What you need is uh, a beta blocker. And she explained that the beta blocker gets you into a zone um, where you're not uh, capping out or tapping out that red zone of being on the 90 to 100 percentile uh, where you're losing it, or you can't think uh, functionally, um, you can't think logically, and so the beta blocker keeps you in that range where you're just you're 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 filling it, but you're not overwhelmed, um, and that's there's another instance of that, and so I don't know, man. It's it, there's a whole bunch of mysteries involved for me and learning along the way. But I wanted to communicate that because I think it's important to understand that um, even with me, who's somebody who's been through this, um, uh, you know, war experience with trauma, TBI, uh, PTSD, all this other stuff, and who's used to flushing it out and coming up with tactics to address it, uh, for the first time, I'm actually going, you know, scratching my head going, whoa, this is a new one. Um, and I, I just wanted to communicate that openly because if it helps somebody, um, then we're all better off for it. And if somebody's listening to this, who's experienced similar things or your subject matter expert who understands this, um, then talking about it, uh, will help me and by default help anybody else who's going through it. Um, I'll answer a question. I got a question that relates to modern mindset three, six, five. Um, I got asked on my DM on my personal Instagram page today. It says, I heard a pastor one time say that a 
Oh, this is the wrong one. <laughs> Don't ignore what I just said. Um, it says, uh, would you ever consider doing a podcast on dealing with ego, humility, while making it into soft? Really curious to hear, curious to hear what you ha- your take on is on attitude and confidence remaining rooted and humble while being part of an elite unit in world's mil- in the world's best military. So, I mean, the, the big question is, um, how do you remain humble in a job that requires a lot of ego? And then, you know, how does empathy play into that? So I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody recently about empathy. Uh, actually, I was talking to Phil Heath, uh, seven-time Mr. Olympia, and he was talking about empathy. We actually discussed empathy in the last Phil Kraus Survival podcast. But I think empathy is something that, uh, one, that you're either born with or you develop. And I had empathy as a child because I saw it in my dad. Uh, I mean, my dad was the kind of guy to stop four lanes of traffic to rescue an animal that was uh, potentially going to get killed. Um, but I was that kind of person too because I saw his example. And so when it came to introducing empathy into my role in, in special operations, I was empathetic. And, you know, I was empathetic to people. I mean, I would, I've been in particular gunfights where wreaked a lot of havoc, but after the fact, have gone back and, and try to help the innocent people that were there to witness that and kind of reduce the impact of trauma on them. Um, and just helping any way I could versus some people I know who had absolutely no empathy who said, you know, screw them. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. Um, and I've also seen, uh, people who had no empathy going into the military and then they developed that empathy through experience. Um, when you see innocent people afflicted by war, you develop, uh, some people develop empathy or humility in that way. And, what I will say is there there is a sense of arrogance that's sometimes confused with, confused with confidence uh, in special operations, especially elite organizations. I've been in several elite organizations where from the outside looking in, you would get an air or a sense that there was egos, um, they were egotistical, and uh, sometimes that had negative impacts on us or the people that were externally looking out uh, and then staring in. Uh, but what I would say for the most part is internally in those organizations between men, between women, uh, interpersonally, there was a lot of empathy amongst each other. Uh, and then obviously at a time of war uh, for other people. Um, so what I will say is when you develop uh, a sense of confidence or self-esteem and developing yourself and higher uh, echelons or hierarchies or military organizations, um, you will be around people who are egotistical. Um, but for the most part, that develops a sense of empathy in yourself because when you become confident, because you are the best in your field of expertise, you, you start to lose arrogance in not trying to prove yourself to others. A lot of the arrogance that revolves around a lot of people is because they feel like they have something to prove. And so the way they carry themselves, the way they communicate to others, um, the way they're perceived by others can be egotistical because they have that chip on their shoulder that um, I have something to prove to others and I'm going to demonstrate that. 
as opposed to somebody who has been there, done that, they lose that mechanism in them, uh, that arrogance in them to, to have to prove themselves. And so I think it's important to understand that it, it happens to some people through development and them gaining confidence by, by meeting goals and objectives, by getting at higher levels of performance or expertise or organizations. Um, but some people are born with it. You know, I was born with it and I kind of was raised that way. And then it was only driven home uh, more so when I started operating at higher levels. Uh, you will get people on the left and right of center when it comes to this. Uh, but I, th I think it's important to highlight that um, for the most part, when you gain experiences, when you go through loss, um, when you're when you're going through the uh, uh, the ups and downs that you'll find in these high level uh, operating environments or jobs or skill sets, that you will get more humble, uh, you will get um, less egotistical, um, and that and that just comes with the. Uh, the the role in performing in those in those industries, I don't think to be uh, to be operating at your best, to be in your prime, and then succeeding in that, uh, meaning sustaining that. I don't think if you have an ego, you're going to be able to go far, uh, especially as an operator. If you're an operator in special operations and you're communicating with uh, liaisons uh, who belong to foreign services, uh, foreign people. Uh, or other sister organizations, or other government organizations, diplomats, the list goes on. Uh, you have to have a humble and empathetic uh, attitude in how you display yourself and how you deal with people in order to succeed. And I hope that's helped. Um, it, look, I think, number one, nobody, nobody has time to deal with assholes or, or arrogance in um, those fields of expertise that you know, where people live and people die. Um, I, I don't think it's, uh, there's any place for that. Uh, operationally speaking, uh, at the highest levels with, with intellects and operators that have operated the highest uh, levels of strategy and counterterrorism, I don't think I've ever seen that kind of, uh, kind of character shine or go far. Uh, so yeah, thanks for asking that question, man. And um, uh, thanks for tuning in the podcast. Uh, we'll we'll get more into this um, as the conversation uh, allots it. Uh, we'll be communicating more about this. I'll be talking about that experience, and then hopefully subject matter experts reach out to me, and we'll we'll explain it more in detail and in depth. Uh, so thanks, guys, for tuning in.